0: book of Malachi, chapter number 2. I want to preach to you for a few moments this evening on having our hearts right with God. You know, it's one thing to be right with everyone around you. It's a whole other thing to be right with the Lord in heaven. Uh, We can fake along the way and and, uh, try to make a way and be right with those that are around us because the truth is none of us know anyone's hearts. Uh, Really, truthfully, we don't know our own heart. We must go to the Lord and ask Him to search our hearts. Because the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And your heart can deceive you. And uh, certainly our actions can deceive those that are around us. But the Lord, He's the one that knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. And uh, so He knows exactly where we're at spiritually this evening. And I, I believe that uh, it's the greatest thing that we could walk away from the service here tonight with is a heart that's thoroughly right with the Lord. Most of us, we have a life that is somewhat right with the Lord. But I think there are very few Christians that have a heart that is thoroughly right with the Lord. No area, no part that's not surrendered to Him. In the book of Malachi, uh, the Lord is dealing with the nation of Israel that has gone back into the land. They are rebuilding the temple. They are setting about to do the work of God. But very quickly after the temple has been rebuilt, their hearts begin to drift. That ought to tell you something. That means you can be in the house of God and your heart not be right with God. You can even be in the work of God and your heart not be right with God. You can be in the ministry of God and your heart not be right with God. And it also tells you that your heart can be right with God at one moment and then very shortly after not be right with the Lord. There's none of us that are above our hearts getting away from the Lord. And so Malachi gives us some warnings on what will happen. I want us to look at just three verses this evening Beginning in verse number 1, we'll read these verses and pray. The Word of God says, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. Let's read verse 2 once more, and then we'll pray. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we need you this evening. Lord, I wonder sometimes if we're even really aware how badly we need you. But Father, according to your word, we need you like the very breath that we breathe, like the water we drink and the food that we eat and the sleep that gives us rest. Father, you're not optional this evening. You're a necessity. Help us to realize, Lord, that truth. Help our pride to be crushed and abased. And Lord, help those of us that are discouraged this evening to be uplifted and encouraged in Your Word. Now, Father, You're sufficient for all those things. You're the only one that is. So we've come to You tonight, Lord, believing You have the words of life and committing ourselves unto You to meet all of our needs. Father, we know it's not too much to ask of You. Lord, we do ask all these things now, and we ask them in a name that is high and holy, In the name that is capable and willing, we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As Malachi begins to talk about our hearts being right with the Lord, he sort of gives it to us in three thoughts in verse number 2. And by way of introduction, I just want to point out some things that are necessary for us to be right with the Lord. Now, what do we mean when we mean right? Well, I want you to notice, first off, there has to be the right kind of hearing in our life. Look what he says in verse number 2. He says, if you will not hear. The Word of God tells us that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I like Lester Olaf used to say this, that faith don't come by seeing. Seeing gets in the way of hearing. That's not to say that there's not something to be said for watching God work in our lives. But there are plenty of folks that saw His miracles. But seeing His miracles wasn't enough to save Him. They had to believe in His Word. And I believe that it all begins with the willingness and openness to hear what God has to say about us. Now, on this sleepy Wednesday evening, I wonder how many of us came to hear from the Lord. I mean, really came to hear from Uh, You know, when you're expecting a call, of course, it ain't like this much anymore because we all have cell phones, you know, we're all hooked up and plugged up and we're all wired up, but it's wireless. But there was a time when if you were expecting a call, you had to be somewhere to receive that call. Some of you remember what that was like. And you might stay home all day expecting a particular call. Or you might, if you were one of those that traveled and went places and maybe you spent some time traveling maybe in hotels or something like that, when you get there, you might let them know you were expecting a call to arrive at your room. The truth is, when we come to the house of the Lord, we ought to come expecting to hear something. And not just something in the way of a message, not just something in the way of a song, not even just something in the way of a little nugget of truth or something that we might be willing to accept but to hear from God Almighty. It's interesting that time and time again in the New Testament you hear, particularly in the seven churches of Revelation, but really several times in the New Testament you hear this admonition given, to him that hath ears to hear. What does that mean? Now, we all have ears. At least I look out, I don't know, if you've got a prosthetic ear, I didn't mean to just offend you, amen? But as I look out over the congregation, we all have ears to hear. Some of us probably hear better than others. But I've learned this in raising my child, what, how little he is, he has the way. And me and my father talk about it all the time. Kids have selective hearing. Somebody say amen to that. You remember raising your kids, they, they have the ability to hear what they want to hear. And hearing is as much a psychological matter as it is a biological matter. And truthfully, all of us here tonight, under the sound of my voice, you're going to hear a message preached. But the question is, will you hear what the Lord has to say to you. There has to be the right kind of hearing. There has to be the right kind of heart to receive that here. He says, if you will not hear it, verse number 2, if you will not hear and if you will not lay it to heart. That's interesting language, isn't it? Lay it to heart. It carries with it the idea of application or appropriation of the truth. We talked a little bit in Sunday school, Sunday morning, about the appropriation of truth. Paul talks about the things which ye have heard and learned and received. He says those things which ye have heard and received. So there's a difference between hearing and receiving. It's one thing to hear it and acknowledge it. It's another thing to appropriate it to your own life. That word receive that Paul used, it carries the idea of bringing something near unto oneself or applying it unto your life. We've sort of joked before at times, that you hear people say all the time, well, that message, I wish, I wish so-and-so had been here to hear that message. You ever said that before? I wish so-and-so could have heard that. I understand that sentiment. There have been times I wish so-and-so had been here. And that so-and-so, you know, they're the cause of a lot of problems. That's why sometimes you'll hear somebody and they'll call them a so-and-so. You ever heard that before? So-and-so, if they had just been here. But let me just tell you something. God knew so-and-so wouldn't be here, but He knew you would be here. And the truths that God gives us, we have very much a say in whether we draw them close and apply them to our lives. There has to be the right hearing and the right heart. But then there has to be the right honor that the Lord speaks of. He says, if you will not hear and if you will not lay it to heart, to what? To give glory unto my name. Now, we've said this before, but do you know that the great and grand purpose of the Christian life is to bring glory to the Lord God Almighty? There are a lot of things that we do in the way of bringing Him glory, and those things are important. But we need to understand that there's a difference between the means and the goal of a matter. Sometimes if you get the means before the goal, then things get twisted around. But when we keep the goal, the main thing, the main thing, then we'll use the right means to get there. And let me say that the only way to bring glory to God is the way that the Scripture prescribes for us to bring glory to God. To God, The grand purpose in your life and mine is to bring glory to Him. We might do everything that Christianity would dictate we should do, but if we do it with the wrong spirit, we're not bringing glory to God. We might do everything, all of the rules. You know what I'm talking about. And if they're just rules to you, then you especially know what I'm talking about. Because when they simply become a matter of rules and not a matter of relationship, we're no longer giving glory to God. And you might follow all the rules, quote, unquote, But when we do it with the wrong motive or the wrong attitude or the wrong spirit, we're not bringing glory to God. The grand purpose in the reason that we live, the reason that you draw a breath, the reason your eyes open today was to bring glory to God. And that can only be done with the right heart for Him. I'll tell you something, God knows why we do what we do. We have to constantly, constantly, and I've already decided this. I don't know what kind of message this is going to be tonight. We'll see. But let me tell you something, we have to constantly battle the right motives and the wrong motives in our life. If you're not careful, you'll get to the place where you're not even aware that the right motives have left you. You're just doing it because that's what you do. I think about the time when Joseph and Mary took the young Jesus to Jerusalem. And he was 12 years old and he was left in the temple. And the Bible says that when they left, they went three days and they didn't even know he wasn't in the midst of them. Three days. You say, how could that happen? They just assumed that his presence was with them. Let me tell you something. Sometimes God's presence crashes in to our lives. There's sometimes that God, we might say, He shows up and He shows out. But let me say that oftentimes that is the exception and not the rule. Many times the presence of God as He walks with us and leads us is the still, small voice and the gentle, quiet leading in our day-to-day life, step by step. And if we're not careful, that'll leave us and we won't even be aware of it. We have to be constantly vigilant to make sure that our hearts are where they need to be with the Lord. And God gives us three things that'll happen when we're... Our hearts are not right with the Lord. and I'm going to give them to you in hush tonight. Look with me at the end of verse number 2. Now, we've already read that in verse 1, this commandment is to the priests in particular. But remember that you and I, we're, we're also priests. We're part of a royal priesthood. And there's no longer a priestly hierarchy of sorts. And there's no longer a priestly class of people. But you and I, we're made priests unto God. And so as this applies to you and I, notice as every By the way, do you know every believer has been called into ministry? Every single one of us. Now, I'm aware that God places a particular call. If there's anybody that's aware of it ought to be the preacher, that God places a particular call on somebody's life when He intends for them, that to be their vocation and their livelihood and what they employ every moment of their time with. But every believer has been called into the ministry. The Bible doesn't say to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature if you've been through a seminary or if you've been ordained or have the approval of men or have a slip of paper that says that it's okay to do that. Every one of us, in a sense, have been called into ministry. And so this exhortation, I believe, applies to every one of us. And the first thing that will happen when our heart is not right with the Lord is there is a removal of God's power. Notice what the Lord says to the priest. He says, I will even send a curse upon you, in verse number 2, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Now, when God says He's going to curse their blessings, He's not talking about uh, incantations when He says blessings. And He's not necessarily talking about you know open sesame or abracadabra, any of that nonsense. But what he's saying is this, that in day to day, as they would approach unto God and as they would seek to exercise themselves in the ministry of Jehovah, that God would nullify the things that they were doing. Now, remember, if our chief purpose in life is to bring glory to God, then we can't pull anything over on Him, right? I mean, if that's our chief purpose, is to be unto His pleasing and to bring glory unto Him, and He sees and knows our hearts and the very depths of who we are, then there's no way we can fool Him. There's no pulling the wool over His eyes. And so the Lord says this. Number one, I want you to notice there is a promise to remove. God says, I promise you, your blessings will be of no effect if your heart is not right with the Lord. As sure as the sun will rise, as sure as gravity will take effect, God says that when your heart is not right with the Lord, there'll be no pleasure and no power as you serve me. Let me tell you something, the quickest way to to relegate Christianity to just a duty, just a, a matter of rules and boredom, is to allow our heart to drift from the Lord. Let me tell you something, it's a necessity that our hearts be surrendered to Him. It's not a suggestion. It's a necessity. It's no wonder we're unhappy when our hearts aren't surrendered to Him. It's no wonder we're unhappy when we're just doing it because that's what people expect out of us. There's a promised removable, removal, but then I'd say that there is a practical removal. It's interesting the way the Lord says this. He says, I will curse your blessings. Then He says, yea, I have cursed them already because you do not lay it to heart. Now, what is the Lord saying here? He says, first off, this is something I will do, but then He turns around and says, in fact, it's something that's already happened to you. I would say this as a pragmatist, that it's not just that God will step in and intervene and remove His blessing from our life, but it's that blessing is the result of obedience. And when we're disobedient, the power and blessing of God will leave our lives. Not necessarily because God's trying to prove something to us, but simply because the power of God in our lives and the blessing of God upon our lives is the direct result of our hearts being right with Him. Let me put it this way to you. I once heard this quote. G. Campbell Morgan said this. If you know who G. Campbell Morgan is. If not, it might as well, you know, be uh J. P. Morgan. I don't know. But uh, made this statement that if we are to grow the tulips of the kingdom of God, we must get the bulbs from heaven. In other words, this business that we're in, it's a heavenly business. I mean, this isn't just a matter of persuading folks to come through a door. Or this isn't just a matter of trying to argue someone out of their religion and into your religion. I mean, this is a supernatural thing that's taking place. God, for God to arrest a lost person's heart, for them to surrender themselves to an Almighty God, for them to acknowledge that everything they've been taught and everything that they've believed and everything that they've felt from the moment of their understanding up until that very moment has been false, it's been built on shifting sand, there's been no substance and no truth to it, and to convince them of that, it's an impossibility outside of divine intervention. It's impossible. How could you do it? I mean, listen, you, you can't even argue someone out of one political party and into another political party. What would make us think that we could argue someone out of one religious way of thinking and into believing the truths of the Word of God? It is beyond the realm of man's ability, and it is beyond the scope of believability outside of God doing a work in people's lives. I mean, it's just a practical thing. That the only way that God can move and work in our life and have power and stir people's hearts and operate through us is if we're yielded to Him. Every once in a while, and some of you men, I'm sure you've had that. You you ever had something tear up in your house before? Anybody? Sure. And you ever spent two and a half hours working on it trying to fix it and couldn't fix it? Sure. Only to realize that it wasn't plugged in? Sure. (laughs) That's happened to me. Hey, if you'll be honest, it's happened to you. And you kind of say to yourself in that moment, well, dummy, you got to plug it up. Well, let me just say this as relating to spiritual things. Well, dummy, you've got to plug it up. got to plug it up. Hey, listen, Christ said this, I am the true vine, you're the branches. My Father's the husband. This isn't just a matter of getting some orders from heaven to fill. This is a matter of Him living through us. This is a matter of us being surrendered to Him. Do you understand that it's a matter of Him directing and coordinating the very moments of our life that they might be unto His glory and unto the uh, projecting and unto the propagating of the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? This isn't just a matter of us uh, trying to toe the line. This is a matter of us being crucified with Christ and Him living through us. I'd say that the first thing when our heart's not right with the Lord is the removal of God's power. But then I'd say, number two, that there's a repercussion to God's punishment. In other words, when the power of God leaves, it it affects some things. I was listening the other day where a uh, judge, and I'm sure you've probably heard about this, but a judge, I can't remember if he was in Chattanooga, somewhere in Tennessee, but a judge has refused to grant divorce for a couple. And the grounds for that refusal is that he said this, that the Supreme Court has made clear that they do not believe the state is competent to define marriage or the things of marriage. And if the state is not competent to define marriage or the things of marriage, then he is not able to grant a divorce until the federal court system defines what the divorce of a marriage is. Everybody, of course, on the left hand side of things is screaming and crying foul and saying that he's being petulant being a child. Maybe there's a degree of that that's true. but here's the greater truth is this: when you change something as fundamental as marriage, there are repercussions of it i i mean here's the thing the the left wants everybody just to play by the rules and 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 do things in you know in a kind way and And I don't know whether it's about fighting a war or not. I just know this, that our country is big enough that when you change laws, it has effects. It it affects things. When the Supreme Court dictates that the states are incompetent to define marriage, and I don't think anybody would question whether that has been the case, it's going to affect some things. In other words, when, when something changes up there, it changes things down here. Let me say that that truth holds in the spiritual realm as well. Listen, if if God could remove His blessing and power from our life and it not affect anything, then that would be a good indication we don't need the blessing and power of God. But when our heart's not right with Him, and God removes that blessing and power from our life, it will affect things. And that's denoted in our text here. I want you to notice what he says. He says in verse 3, Behold, I will corrupt your seed. Now, there's some interesting truths here. One is that word corrupt. We have the idea when we think the word corrupt of something being decaying or putrefying. And certainly that is often the case. But it's interesting that word is used a lot in the Old Testament with this thought, the idea of reproving someone or rebuking someone. In other words, what God is saying is this, I'll be unhappy with you and you'll know that I'm unhappy with you. God's saying, I will chide with you. I will chasten you. I got to thinking about all the things that my daddy used to tell me growing up. And uh, it's funny, man, because you really are your product you're raising to a, to a great degree. I mean, I'm not saying that's an excuse to go out and shoot up a movie theater or something like that, but, but you are your product you're raising. And I will catch myself. I mean, my little boy, he's tiny, you know. And I, I mean, I, I'll catch myself saying, hey, you dried up. Anybody told that growing up? Was anybody ever able successfully to simply dry it up? In, in the history of humanity, has any child ever been able to just dry it up? I never could. But we find ourselves to be a product of our raising, you know? Things like, I'll give you something to cry about, you know? And they'd probably take your child away now, State would if you said something like that. I'll give you something to cry about. And I used to always, even as a little child, I used to think, well, that's dumb, evidently I've already got something to cry about or I wouldn't be crying, you know? Even as a child, I used to think that way. Basically... What the Lord is saying to them is this. And by the way, they were crying foul on God throughout the whole book of Malachi. And you can take your time to, to go through and, and see all the things that they were saying. They were saying it's it's vain to serve the Lord, and the Lord hadn't kept His promises, and the Lord hadn't done right by us, and it's miserable, and it ain't served us well. We've cleansed our hands in vain, and we, we've washed our hearts in innocency and all these things. And they were complaining about the Lord. Basically, what God's saying is this. If your heart isn't right with me then I'll give you something to cry about. He's saying, I will chide with you. I will rebuke you. I will make known to you that your heart is not right with me. And one commentator put it this way, said, you've never had a chewing out like you get from the Lord. When the Lord makes known to us. And in other words, could I say this, that any time that a believer is experiencing the chastening of God, it's an unpleasant thing. There's never anything pleasant about chastening. Even the Bible says, It teaches us that. It says that, that now no chastening for the present time seemeth to be pleasant. It's grievous. It's grievous unto us. But afterward it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It'll never be a pleasant thing for God to chasten us. And when our heart is not right with Him, the first thing we experience is a keen, sharp awareness that something isn't right. Our heart is not where it needs to be. Our fellowship with Him grows sour and boring. And Malachi says God will make us aware of that. But then we see not only a firm rebuke, but we see a further result. He says, behold, I will corrupt your seed. That's interesting that he uses that term seed. It can be interpreted in two different ways. One way we can understand that is relating to harvest. And certainly that could be said that when we're not right with the Lord, that oftentimes God will put holes in our bags. And uh, no matter how much we try to to, uh, accrue wealth or try to get in a good place, so to speak, God won't allow it to happen. But I don't believe that's what Malachi is talking about. See, we have to understand that the priesthood was a hereditary thing. That's the reason there was uh, the Levitical priests. You say, who were the Levitical priests? They were the descendants from the Levites and from Levi and from Aaron. And there was the Aaronic priesthood. And basically, you know what he's saying? He's saying this. The Lord's saying, your heart is not right with me, and it's going to affect your children. And I could say this in a broad way tonight. Our sin always affects others. Always. I mean, listen, we can lie to ourselves and tell ourselves that it does not affect our family and our loved ones, but it's just that, it's a lie. Your sin will always affect others. I've known some that got out of the will of God, and as you saw the effect in their life... Let me tell you something, what breaks my heart the most when I see people get out of the will of God, especially families, it breaks my heart for the parents, but it really breaks my heart for the children. Because here's the thing, here's what the parents will do. They'll get out after a year, two years, three years. Something will come along. Somebody will wind up in a hospital bed or in a morgue, and they'll get right. But the effects on the children never go away. never goes away. What God is saying is this. You may get right, but it's going to corrupt your children. It's going to corrupt those around you. And just remember this. God is a lot more forgiving than others are. We can complain all we want about how harsh God is, but He's a lot more forgiving than your family is. He's a lot more forgiving than your friends are. And you may get right with God, and God may forgive you, but that don't mean it's going to write your testimony with those whom you've lost it in front of. There's a result to getting out of the will of God. There's a result to having sin in our lives. We see that there's a removal of God's power, and there's a repercussion to God's punishment. But finally, I'd like you to notice that there is a rejection for God's purposes. Now, you might say this is coarse language, preacher, but if you study your Bible, you'll understand that there is a cultural implication and a context to the next phrase. The Lord says at the end of verse 3 that He would spread dung upon their faces, even the dung of their solemn feasts, and one shall take you away. Now, I know that most of us, when we think of the idea of dung, we think of the idea of human waste, and that's usually how you hear it. But really, the term dung in the Bible had to do with anything that was refuse, anything that was no good, anything that was to be thrown out and thrown away. Now, what's he talking about? He does not say, he says, the dung of your solemn feast. If you study the uh, offerings in the Levitical priesthood, you'll know that whenever they offered, if you've ever hunted, if you've ever butchered animals, you know there's always a big part of that animal that you throw away, the organs and the insides, things like that. Most animals don't die on an empty stomach, and so you have to throw things away, get rid of things so they don't pollute the meat. And... Oftentimes, they would gather, well, I'd say all the time, they were commanded by uh, the Levitical law that they were to take all that was left over, and they weren't to burn it there in the tabernacle or in the temple. They were to take all that, take it without the camp, and burn it away from everyone because it was refuse and it was not fit for the Lord. They were, in other words, to throw it away, to burn it up, and to get rid of it. What the Lord is saying is this, is your heart is not right with me. I'm going to take all that refuse, all that that you would quietly dispose of, he says, and I'll spread it upon your face. It'll be a mask to you. It'll be a public thing that people will look and they'll see that in your life. I'd say this, that there is a disclosure of sin mentioned here. In other words, that which you'd love in secret to throw away and do away with is going to come out in public. You know, the Bible says this, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Let me tell you something. We live in sin. Sooner or later, it'll come out. We think we're hiding it. We think we're real slick, you know. But believe it or not, God has you and I pegged. He does. My little boy. And if you listen, if if you grow tired of me giving illustrations about my little boy, I'm sorry. It's going to be that way for at least 18 years, <laughs> uh, and probably even a lot longer than that. But sometimes my little boy will walk in the room and he'll be doing something. And, uh, you know, he'll be he'll be playing with something. Kids, man, they think they can play with anything. You know, they're like adults. They think they can touch fire and won't get burned. And uh, we'll say, now, you know you're not supposed to have that. Man, he's slick. Even at a little age, he's slick. They're so sneaky. I mean, they come out of the womb being sneaky. And he'll turn around and he'll go, mama, and go to hand it to her. You know what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, now, I want going to play with that. I was just getting that so nobody else would get it, so that I could bring it to you and give it to you. Amen? You ever seen kid do that? I remember one time when we were... Well, it was when we was living here. Uh, we were getting ready. It was for church one day. And we were we were getting ready. And, and my wife, there was some baking soda that she had, had left sitting out. And we were in the other room. We were getting ready. And we heard him say, Uh-oh! And he comes running in there. And his hands covered in baking soda going... Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. And we walked in there and we looked and you could see in the baking soda little teeny tiny fingerprints where he had tried to pick up that baking soda and put it back in the box. I thought to to myself, oh my, out of the mouth of babes. Because let me tell you something, that's what we do with our sin. We get out and we live in sin, we disobey the Lord, and we might as well, listen, uh, He had as good a chance of scooping that baking soda back into that box as you and I do covering our sin up. And we finally, we know we're caught. We come running to the Lord and we got our hands covered in baking soda and we're saying, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, I've messed up, I've sinned, I've done wrong. You'd be a lot better off if you just recognized that He saw you spill the baking soda in the first place. He saw you when you stepped out of the will of God. It's going to come out one way or the other. You might as well go ahead and confess it and forsake it and get it right with the Lord. Because sooner or later, he'll everything that's been done in the darkness, He'll bring it into the light. We see a disclosure of sin. And finally, we see a dismissal from service. He says this, I'm going to take that dung and spread it upon your face. And He says, and one shall take you away with it. We might say this, that you know, emphasis makes a big difference sometimes when you're, when you're reading something. Let me read it this way. And one shall take you away with it. In other words, when the time comes for them to take that dung outside of the city and to burn it because it's unfit, they're going to take you away with it because you're no longer fit for service. I said at the beginning of the message tonight, and I'll end with this truth that being right with God is not just a suggestion, it's a necessity. You can deceive yourself into thinking it's optional, but it's not. And sooner or later, man, God's going to nail you to the wall and make you see that. It'd be a lot better to surrender to Him now than it would be to wait and fight and run and rebel and Him catch up with you one of these days anyway. Sooner or later, God's going to make these things known. But it'd be better if you got it right now, before He spread your sin all over your face and sent you outside of the camp where you can no longer be used because you've wrecked and ruined your testimony and made your life unfit for the service of the Lord. Because this thing ain't just about getting the job done, it's about bringing glory to Him. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness, what? For His name's sake. Because He leadeth me in paths of righteousness because that's what folks expect? No. Because that's what makes a good church-going person? No. Because it makes sense to me all the time? No. For His name's sake. That's why He does it. And so let's make sure before we leave this place that our hearts are thoroughly right before the Lord. They don't have to be totally wrong to be kept from being thoroughly right. It might be a small thing, but let's surrender it to the Lord this evening.